1: Are you ready? I'm Greg Reporter. You're listening to The Hang. Watch what happens when the people catch wind of the water hitting the podcast dedicated to hanging out. Liquid spirit.
0: The customers were Stevie Wonder. used to come in all the
1: time. Marvin Gaye would come in. That is crazy. Uh, That would blow my mind, and it was just regular for you. It was pretty incredible to have Stevie Wonder. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautifully simple. We may talk to some people at the beginning of their career. We may talk to living legends.
0: I was struggling for a long time. Couldn't get a hit, but in a two-month period,
1: those two things changed my life around
0: 180 degrees. Who's joining me
1: this week? We have the wonderful Don Was I was in
0: sixth grade. I had a band called The Saturns. And our first gig, it was at my school Hootman with the great Moish Last as the headliner. <laughs> but second on the bill, Chuck Mitchell and Wife. Okay. So of course, Joni Mitchell.
1: Oh. So that was my first gig. <laughs> Damn. Wow. And so here is The Hang. Let's do it. Come on. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> my, my creative boss. <laughs> Welcome to The Hang. It's very nice uh, to be here. Mr. Don was uh, really a pleasure. You know, on The Hang, we talk about uh, life, love, architecture, style, family, whatever, whatever comes up, all those things that can... okay. That can find their way into to music. Um, it's just it all finds its way, in the right? Music, the, it? the human yeah. condition, yeah. Yeah. and then you know, yeah. and, and and above, yeah. uh, finds its way into into the music. So we'll just we'll just talk about art foundation. I'm 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 so much into like the soil of us, the the the, the underneath the, mm-hmm. where we the 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 soil in which we came from and mm-hmm. what made Don was what made gregory what made you know the people that that we love mm-hmm. um uh so, you know, it, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't I, want to mean to sound like a psychiatrist, but <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the beginning. <laughs> well, Rosebud
0: was my sled. and uh, <laughs> uh, Now, I come from the soil of Detroit, Michigan. Yeah. And I, I grew up there in a really wonderful time, mm-hmm. uh, 1950s, 1960s. Mm-hmm. And the city was booming. Uh, people were coming from all over the world yeah. uh, to find work in the auto plants, right? Yeah. And they brought all their cultures with them. Yeah. And it was just the liveliest jambalaya of a city you, you could imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, not without problems, not without friction, but generally, yeah. you know, everyone coexisted. It's, it was a very interesting place. It still is in, in the sense that it was a one industry town, mm-hmm. right? You, so, my my parents didn't work on the assembly line. They were both school teachers. Mm. But if you lived in Detroit, uh, you know, you and you were a teacher, you taught the children of people who were there somehow involved in the auto business. And if sales were down, workers would get laid off and then teachers would get laid off and then barbers would get laid off and waitresses would get laid off. So in that kind of environment, everyone's in the same boat and there's not a lot of point, and putting on any airs about it, yeah. everyone knows. So, but it what it breeds is a uh, a no bullshit kind of honest population, and the music kind of reflects that. Uh, it's raw and deeply soulful. Yeah. So the, uh I come out of that.
1: <laughs> wow. Um. Your first like. Uh, understanding of music did your parents what did, what did they listen to um and how did you pick up an instrument
0: well you know something my, my, my dad uh used to be involved in youth fitness programs mm-hmm. and uh there was like a social center that had guitar lessons also in like the late 50s and he bought a guitar for five bucks and uh took a few lessons and it wasn't for him mm-hmm. so he gave me the guitar i was maybe in third grade or something like that mm-hmm. and he gave me the the charts for how to play the chords and it was definitely for me mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then a couple of years later uh I was it was in the middle of like the early 60s folk uh, music revival kind of mm-hmm. so it, you know, three chords you're in, man. Right. And, uh,
1: <laughs> now tell the truth. Tell the truth. Were <laughs> you doing it for, for the friendship? Were you doing it for the music and the art? Were you doing it for girls? For girls, you- of course. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, at first I was doing it,
0: because uh, re- I, I, it's, I couldn't help it. Yeah. I, you know, you know that feeling. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't put the thing down. Yeah. I, uh, and, uh, Hours would fly by and I'd just be seated there, then I started playing piano. But to the point, when I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, mm-hmm. there are a lot of guys my age. I was born in nineteen fifty-two. So we were twelve years old. Mm-hmm. And I think at twelve, you're just goofy enough to see all those girls screaming. Like, <laughs> right. I'm gonna do that. Right <laughs> I, I need that equalizer. And there are an inordinate number of musicians my age you yeah. had the same experience because if you were a little bit older you might say well but perhaps i should back it up with a law degree and if you were eight you didn't care about the girls screaming so right uh, but that, no question that that was a factor that was so- was social equalization
1: uh-huh. <laughs> and how old were you and where were you when you either formed your first group or joined your first group I
0: was in sixth grade. I had a band called The Saturns. And our first gig, I still have the little mimeograph poster. It was at my school hootenanny with the great Moish Last as the headliner. (laughs) But second on the bill, it's a a local folk singer, a guy who came down from uh, Toronto, Canadian. Chuck Mitchell and wife. Okay. Who's, of course, Joni Mitchell.
1: So that was my first gig. <laughs> Damn! Wow! 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 That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> wow! And that what kind of music was that? That was, that was pre Beatles. Uh-huh. So it was folk music. Okay. Right? You know, uh, Kingston Trio, Peter Paul and Mary. Mm-hmm. If I had a hammer. Mm-hmm. And and when you found yourself in your own voice. And you were ready to take it out to a larger audience. What was that? Was that?
0: Was that uh, before?
1: Was that before? It's wasn't I was or it was it.
0: It's hard. If you ask me that way, I'm telling you, I'm still. I'm 66. I'm still looking for the voice. You know, I'm still <laughs> trying to refine it down. When we we put wasn't I was together when I was in my late 20s. Mm-hmm. And I spent my 20s just playing bar gigs mm-hmm. in Detroit. Any any kind of work I could find yeah. from, you know, from jazz groups playing bebop to, uh, you know, folk singers. The, the, the weirdest gig was with a folk singer named Ted Lucas. And uh, they booked us acoustic guitar, kongas, and bass to open for Black Sabbath at the Toledo Sports Arena. <laughs> uh, and we made it about a minute and a half before... Uh, the drummer was bleeding too much from getting hit with bottles. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was, but, uh, you know, so I did a lot of those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just any kind of gig. But it was great. I loved it. I remember it as one of the best periods of my life. Yeah. Play five sets a night and <laughs> uh, and just e- try to expand your consciousness. Yeah. But then we, we, we put Was and I Was together uh, in the late, uh, yeah, I was in my late 20s when we first started recording stuff and it was kind of meant to uh kind of sum up our musical experience in detroit Um, on our first single we had a great jazz trumpeter named marcus belgrave who played with charles mingus absolutely uh, ray charles he was
1: killing yeah and and just a nice man
0: beautiful guy yeah and uh and chose to stay in detroit and teach younger musicians yeah uh despite being a a world-class Player, so we had him. We had uh, the guitar player from the MC5, Wayne Kramer. Mm-hmm. We had uh, a couple of guys from Parliament Funkadelic. Wow! And that was kind of it. Was kind of a we're trying to, I guess, put all our Detroit roots together in one sound. When I listen to it now, I can hear the seams, but we were looking for a voice that had it had an R and B groove. Mm-hmm. It had. Uh, it had improvisational qualities and and jazz modes and scales, mm-hmm. and also uh, that kind of raw rock and roll that I grew up with. Yeah, uh, Mitch Ryder, MC Five, yeah, e and the Stooges. And we had varying degrees of success in achieving that in an organic fashion. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, I think um, when people hear your name, they think of uh, more than one type of music. Just the fact that it's going to be good. It it, it less I, you know, j- genres are like great for organizing record stores,
0: but I don't think musicians think of genre. Do you, you don't sit there and think, Hmm, I think the next line I'm going to sing an R&B lick. And then I'll put a little country kind of thing. You don't think that you, no. it just the stuff comes out of you Yeah, and you've heard all kinds of
1: music. Right. And, uh, Right. And an appreciation for all types of music, exactly. As
0: well. Yeah, yeah, and and that in, that informs the musical conversation. So, yeah. it's like <laughs> if you if you if you went to the library, you know, they have the Dewey Decimal System for organizing the books. It's great for organizing them. Genres are like that too. But I don't know any authors who say, "I think I'll write a six hundred book." <laughs> <laughs> you don't, right? You, know, you just whatever comes out comes out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I've, uh, like I said, because I grew up in that environment where there were, there's everything from polka music to Arabic music to blues and yeah. jazz and rock and roll. Uh-huh. Uh, that's just, I just followed my interest. I just really tried to stay in, uh, interested and yeah. excited and, and, and try to do something new all the time. Yeah. But I, I think that if you make, whether you're making a jazz record or a country record or anything, the, the, basic principles are the same yeah you're telling a story right it's right. about it's about having a great storyteller and enhancing the telling of the story without inhibiting it
1: In in your i feel like now you're talking about being a producer yeah and and your role as a producer will will we'll shift gears into that i We'll talk about maybe some of the, the, if you don't mind, Mm -hmm. you know, just go with me here. Just, just talk about some of the names of the people that you've, you've produced. Well,
0: it's been all kinds. Uh, You know, uh, I was struggling for a long time. Couldn't get a hit. I didn't have a hit till I was in my late thirties. I didn't know what I was doing wrong to not have a hit, but, uh, in a two month period and, uh, I guess it's 87 or 88 in the late 80s in a certain, over a summer I, I produced uh half of the album cosmic thing for the b-52s which had the song love shack on it which i yeah. produced and then the month after that i produced an album called nick of time for bonnie rate and those two things changed my life around uh 180 degrees mm and it's been a really wide range of artists. I've produced all the Rolling Stones records since
1: 1993.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, worked with Willie Nelson and Chris Christofferson and Waylon Jennings. I produced a High Women album with the three of them and Johnny Cash. Uh, I mean, all kinds of
1: records. Wow. My producer, uh, Kamal Kenyatta, who's worked with me on a lot of music, he used to talk about the people that would come through Detroit, mm-hmm. and sometimes the, you know, after playing the big venues, they would they would be playing sometimes these small venues or hanging out at small venues, yeah. and and he saw a lot of great artists. Uh, first of all, he saw a lot of great artists that just lived in Detroit, yes. just on the street, you know, washing cars in the grocery store, yeah. you know, and hanging out with them at yeah. at, at nightclubs. Uh-huh. A lot of the Motown guys were yeah. hanging out at jazz clubs, and he just talked about how. Uh, the music was social.
0: Yeah. And, uh, that, that's, well, of course he was a musician, so that would be his, uh, but, yeah. but it's really true. You know, I used to work in a, at my high school co-op job. It was a crazy Jack's, uh, in-car stereo place <laughs> i sold eight track tapes and, and the customers were uh you know stevie wonder used to come in all the time marvin Gaye would come in that is crazy
1: uh, this is the this is the thing i'm talking about it's not music yeah. but it's just like that would blow my mind and it was just regular for you you know it was pretty incredible to have stevie Wonder, <laughs> marvin Gaye. you know marvin gay lived really close to the
0: store he used to play Touch football out in the street and on uh, Outer Drive.
1: Uh, That's just amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean the Motown music. That was that was hometown music. The kind of pride that people have for you know a team that wins the World Series. Or something, yeah, that was how people in Detroit felt about uh, Motown. It's yeah, had global impact and uh, a lot of a lot of pride in that
1: music. Yeah, as 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 it should. It's it's uh, it's it's shaped the music of around the world. You know, Detroit has shaped the music around the world. That soulful sound, that, that, that gospel tinged expression, that, that playing with the, uh, the, 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 I call it playing with the sacred and profane. My mother Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a lot of the church mothers, God bless them. It, it, they, they used to say, uh, don't play with it. If you play with it, he'll take it away. You know. And uh, she meant like, if you don't sing for the Lord, you don't mm-hmm. sing for God. Um, you know, you're gonna have some trouble with your voice. And and it, I used to I used to be so scared of that. And I and and to hear Marvin Gaye talk about it, to hear uh, uh, Aretha Franklin talk about it, even you know people like. Um, Al Green Al Green right you talk about it, yeah. this this um you know you don't want to let your you you don't definitely you don't want to let your mama down mm-hmm. but then you realize that there's a place for all of it and there's a um there's a beautiful thing that my mother said to me I remember riding in her cadillac I could barely see over the dashboard and talking to her about music and singing and she said uh, and I said um, Mom, I want to sing, but I want to sing about love, and she said, uh, "She said, baby, God made love, and so it's okay to sing about it." And That's I good. and I remember that. <laughs> That's good. I remember that so I remember the street here mm-hmm. in Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. We were driving up Christmas Tree Lane, and um, and I remember saying, "Okay, so." Now my my throat or my voice won't bleed when I when I sing about love mm-hmm. I won't get in trouble for singing about love and she just opened up a little world for me because there were some mothers in the church who scared me to death mm-hmm. you know I, after I would sing a little solo they was like all right baby always use that voice for God and mm-hmm. to this day even when I sing about the ups and downs of love mm-hmm. when I sing about a relationship that's gone bad when I sing mm-hmm. about uh, race. When I sing about politics, when I sing about, I still feel like this is life, and and I'm still singing about a higher power, yeah. uh, or a belief system, mm-hmm. or love. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I I, I agree with that com- completely. I, you know, I had some experiences early on. I was uh, I was going to the University of Michigan. And uh, I hated it.
1: <laughs>
0: it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a great music school there now, but in 1970, you either played in the symphony orchestra or you you weren't in the music yeah. program. Right? And you I, weren't legitimate. I, yeah, it was. You had to go very legit. Yeah, and so I so I hated it. Uh, I I moved there because I wanted to play with bands, but the only gig I could get was. Uh, playing this bowling alley in uh Ypsilanti, Michigan, <laughs> doing like carpenter's covers, nothing against the carpenters it's just not what I moved to ann arbor to play It hey, what's the <laughs> name <laughs> of the city again Ypsilanti? ypsilanti it it just sounds like uh <laughs> it, it, like 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 you don't want to be playing there really but <laughs> it was an awful gig the the piano never quite worked right and uh fi- and we, they kept saying they would fix it. they never did finally, the piano player took it apart, and there's a bowling trophy stuck in the uh and the harp? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs>
1: Are you kidding me? Yeah, it was
0: just like a uh, like a spinet, like an upright piano. Yeah, so you yeah, Took yeah. the bottom thing off and pulled a bowling trophy out. And then wow! It, so that was the gig I was doing. Right? And uh, I was I kind of lost my way. I was nineteen. I didn't. Uh, I had some plans, and they weren't. I didn't feel like I was. I felt like I just lost the thread that yeah. I was following. Yeah. And what I used to do to feel better was I go home. And I put on an album by Wayne Shorter called "Speak No Evil." Yeah, and uh, but I'd listen to it. Um, I'd hear Elvin Jones playing drums, and he was a little more aggressive, maybe than he needed to be on some of those things. Mm-hmm. And it was great because I could relate to the energy. Yeah, uh, I thought, yeah, man, I'm I'm a wild guy like Elvin, and I, I heard Herbie, and he was. Even then, man, he knew more about harmony than anyone walking the face of the earth. And uh, I'm I'm cerebral like Herbie, right? But mainly it was it was Wayne. I wasn't hearing notes and technique or reeds or saxophones. It's conversation, and he was kind of what I would picture in my mind was what later became video games, which weren't invented in 1970. (laughs) and i would see i'd see wayne and myself walking down a a street with obstacles coming towards us yeah and wayne was just kind of guiding me around the obstacles wow and by the end of side two of speak you know i would play side two by the time i got to the end i remembered who i was what i was trying to do i felt balanced and i thought man you know like what a what a great thing to do for people because life is so crazy. We all we all get lost. There's, yeah. The things we count on, you know, everybody gets, you know, people get fired, people get divorced, you know, your life gets turned upside down. If you can, if you can help people uh, understand their complex internal emotional lives through music, which you can. Yep. I just thought it was great service, and uh, and I th- I think that 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 is a, a sacred
1: thing. Yeah, I'm I'm um, I, I I can't I can't tell you how lucky I feel. Now we're sitting in in my library, the British call it a study. <laughs> Uh, I just call it my hang spot, <laughs> and the squeak that you hear is is these antique leather chairs that I found somewhere, and you know I, I'm, I'm I'm blessed music has you know bought me a beautiful house, mm-hmm. but that 's not why I feel lucky. I feel like and this happened to me when I was a child. I felt like I had something Mm -hmm. that nobody could take away. And it was always something that I could pull out and share with other people and make them feel good as well. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that when I was six. And it's been with me my entire life. And and with empty pockets or full pockets, it didn't matter. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. I always felt like I had something that I can offer people. Oftentimes, you know, in those college years and long after college, uh, I, I had no money. But what people would ask me, so like, why are you so happy all the time? Well, it was, you know, there's a few things. My, the way my mother raised me in an optimistic way. But it's also because I felt like I had something that was worth more than money. Mm-hmm. Let let's, how I felt. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it also, along with my faith, but it was a shield. I used it as a shield. I used music as a shield uh, against racism, name-calling, mm-hmm. any season of difficulty. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that, well, at least I have music. Mm-hmm. Music is going to get me out of this. Yeah. Even the darkest moments of of, of my life, the, mm-hmm. the, my mother passing, music was a bright spot for me. It's a couple of miles from where we are now, in a on this street, Christmas Tree Lane. We had a cross burned on our front lawn, and I remember my my mother was she was she didn't need a church building to call it a, a service. Mm-hmm. She had a congregation. She had eight children mm-hmm. and you know, she would, she called us into the living room and, and we prayed and we sang and that the, the, the anxiety of that moment, they, they did that and they threw watermelons through, through our windows. Jeez. The anxiety of that, that that can create for we were, I was, Nine. That's terrifying, man. Nine, yeah. ten. Right. It's a, that's a terrorist act. But I remember the music giving me levity. Yeah. So the power of, of, of it should not be underestimated. And the gift, I still call it a gift, mm-hmm. to, to, to be able to express emotions. and And I love this, what you just said. Traversing life you and Wayne shorter traversing mm-hmm. some obstacles mm-hmm. helping people do that with mm-hmm. with a lyric with the melody riding on your your vocal cords or the strings mm-hmm. of your guitar yeah. is such a beautiful and powerful gift I, and I feel so lucky yeah yeah
0: well, I'm I'm with you
1: yeah yeah very cool back to the production idea and bringing out the best that you can in any particular Mm artist that you're working with. Um, Before you work with an artist, is it something that you, is is it a sit down conversation? Is it listening to their music? Is it considering the trends of music and where it's going? Is it, what is, what is, because you've worked with so many different types of music, how do you approach? Well, every, Producer, I think, has a different approach,
0: and I don't think there's any right way or wrong way to do it. There, there's some producers, of like Babyface, who can write the songs, play the instruments, and then the singer can come in and he'll tell you how to phrase it, and make, he'll make a great record that touches people and uh, and does all the things a great record's supposed to. Yeah. So, uh, I I just don't do that. Yeah. That's not what I can do. What I enjoy doing is getting deep inside with an artist and figuring out what it is that that they're hearing in abstract form in their head and then helping them to realize that. That's the most rewarding thing. And at, at the end of the record, we sit and listen to it together. And if an artist says, wow, Exact. that's what I was hearing, but it's even better, <laughs> then it's a smash. Man. I, you know, if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell. But that's, that's what I'm trying to do is help people unlock the thing that's inside of them. Yeah. And uh, I'm a real believer that if you follow trends, you're going to be in trouble. You're never going to be on time. Mm-hmm. And that the best thing you can do is uh, be yourself, So the thing that that makes an artist different from everybody else is their great strength. So I'm a great believer in playing up the strength. You know, Nick of Time by Bonnie Raitt, that's a good example, man. You couldn't have been less fashionable or trendy in the late 80s than that album was. That was a time of, of like all these... Bands like Human League and Flock of Seagulls, who who are doing these sequenced synthesizer records, and here's a woman closing in on forty, playing traditional blues and 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 just singing like she 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 sings. You know, at the time we started uh, talking about making a record, she she couldn't even get a record deal. And it, it took an odd set of circumstances and and some people who were powerful enough to buck the trends to give her a shot with Nick of Time. I remember while we were making the record, the A&R guy came in and he said, you got a tux? I said, of course I don't have a tux. What, what for? <laughs> he said, you're going to need one for the Grammys. And I... <laughs> I kind of wanted to strangle him. <laughs> I was like, you know, if you like the record, just say you dig it, you know, but right. don't come in here with, with all with that this, hyperbole. Right, shit. right, right,
1: right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but he proved to be prescient. And uh, who would have known that it would strike a nerve like that? She made a very brave record. I mean, most women who were in rock and roll at that time were under a lot of pressure to pretend that they were still 18 yeah. and project a youthful, uh, feminine attitude. And she wrote you know, that song, Nick of Time, which is about turning 40 and and time passing and yeah. and coming to terms with that. That was as un-rock-and-roll a topic as you could possibly go into. Mm. And, the, and the whole attitude of, of the thing was about Honesty and equality in relationships, really, mm-hmm. you know, and just not being willing to be pushed around or to accept bullshit. Yeah. Brave record. Yeah. The audience is related. That's you know, no one, so, no one could have seen that coming. That's so dope, man. So uh doesn't always work quite like that.
1: <laughs> right. There's a You know, for that one, there's a there's hundred that didn't work. Yeah. People being honest. Yeah, and- but at least...
0: I think that's a, that's all you can't really lose making honest music and mm. honest self-expression and mm. telling real stories. And even, you know, even the things that maybe didn't sell there, there will still be someone who come up to me in an airport and say that's that song you cut that meant so much to me, I said, yeah, you know that song right right, <laughs> so <laughs> you never know who you're touching
1: is not that great? I mean I don't I don't mean to you know to draw things back to myself, but <laughs> then I do. this <laughs> is my podcast uh, <laughs> I say that as a as a, sipping on just a tiny bit of whiskey right here <laughs> uh, um, this idea of of the most thing that i'm I'm proud of and in, in, in my career is that... You know that I've actually w- did my own route and mm-hmm. and and said what I wanted to say yeah. and um, kind of stayed organic and 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 you know authentic to to my message mm-hmm. and the idea that that could could you know sell hundreds of thousands of records blows me away that you know I'm I'm happy I'm most Happiest about that. Yeah. I, I didn't uh, compromise. Nobody came in and fixed me or made me or yeah. or changed me. Right. And um, so it's just uh, awesome to hear the story like, like that about uh, Bonnie Raitt, you know, just smashing it. Yeah. Uh, just being her. Well, you know? Y-
0: you know, I don't have to,
1: I never tell her how to sing.
0: You know, you don't have to tell her how to phrase. She's, she's brilliant. She's one of the great,
1: so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash people today. Sick of being upsold at gyms? Don, I, got, I do have one question that's just really yeah. just like nibbling at me. Okay. What, what are the Stones? They call you every time. They, 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 they why do they call <laughs> you to produce their records every time?
0: I, I, I guess you have to ask them. <laughs> I have no idea. If, uh, uh, I'm not going to talk them out of it, certainly. Um, they're very loyal guys, you know? Yeah. Uh, they, you have to do something really bad to fall out of favor. And, They've cultivated an organization. I'm like one of the new guys in the organization mm-hmm. after after twenty five years mm-hmm. me and Daryl Jones are the new guys like and I'm not just talking about the band I mean like the the road crew and mm-hmm. the guitar techs and mm-hmm. and the security guys everything it's a It's a real nice uh family that that these guys have put together mm-hmm. uh which I think speaks to. Their character, mm-hmm. they're they're really great guys, man, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, very generous, very open, warm cats, and mm-hmm. the organization reflects that.
1: Yeah, they probably see that. I know. Wh- oh, you know what? Uh, why did I ask the question? I know the answer. It's like that's a soulful, down, decent dude. I want him in the family. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I knew the answer already. So there you go. <laughs> Hey guys, you're listening to The Hang. Hit subscribe or follow on your podcast thingamajig of choice to get every episode of The Hang fresh off the presses. Have we ever really
0: talked about how I got my job at Blue Note Records? (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm gonna let me. Can I tell this story? Okay, (laughs) I was in LA. I was producing a record. And it wasn't going particularly well. And I was driving to the studio and I had the local jazz station on and I heard your song, Illusion. And I didn't know who you were. I hadn't. This was, it was a while ago. That was a new album at the time. Mm-hmm. And first, the, uh, the lyric just leaped out at me. But that, that's also because of your delivery. Uh, but the thing about uh you you're sweeping up and you see the rug mm-hmm. and in the same breath man the rug reminds you of the the the, the safari the, yeah, the place you, in africa yeah, where the we the place yeah. in africa where you bought the rug and and i just thought what a great way of expressing how when you're in that frame of mind everything reminds you of the person you're missing yeah and uh and the whole thing about uh, losing your footing. Losing uh, um, my footing on the slopes of yeah. the illusion yeah. that I, yeah. Oh, man. So the lyrics were unbelievable. And your vocal was incredible. And it's just you and you and Chip, right? Yeah. It's just piano and, and vocal. And I pulled over. It, I think it was before the days of Shazam, right? So I couldn't <laughs> just, just, I had to pull over and wait for the record to be back announced. And I remember going to the studio. I won't mention the artist, but I thought this is just hopeless. We're never gonna get to the level that that this that your record was at and uh we did the best we could and, and but we we didn't attain that level, but I always used that as a marker of things uh, about a year a year and a half later, I was in New York making a record with John Mayer, and we had one night off and uh I looked in Village Voice, and there you were. You were appearing at Smoke, and I was so excited. So, (laughs) I just went over there. I wasn't looking for, you know, a producer's job or anything. I was just—I was there as a fan. I got there. You did three sets, I think. I got there for the first set and stayed for all three. And you did Illusion in the third set. And the next, I just had the best time. I thought it was the best show Uh I've been to in. I don't know, 15 years. Wow. <laughs> it was just, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was not for business. It was I was there to fill my soul. And mm. I just drank coffee and ate ribs and had a, the the one of the best nights I can remember. That's awesome. The next morning, I was having breakfast with an old buddy of mine who I knew as a drummer. He used to play drums for Sheryl Crow and Lloyd Cole and the commotions. He was married to my assistant from the 90s. And he'd worked his way up from drummer to becoming the president of Capitol Records, a guy named Dan McCarroll. And we were just really talking about how to stay cool under pressure. He was under a lot of heat, and we were talking about abstract things like that. At the end of the breakfast, I said, is Note Records still part of Capitol Records? Because if it is, you really got to listen to this guy that I heard last night, Gregory Porter. Yeah. And unbeknownst to me, Uh, Bruce Lundvall, who'd run the company so beautifully for 30 years, uh, was ill and he was going to have to retire. And no one had come along with a vision for how to move the company forward. And they were thinking about closing Blue Note down. Mm. And I just happened to walk in with an idea about how to move the label forward on the day that they were discussing it. And he offered me the job. Right there, but if I hadn't gone to see you that night, i I'd never, it never would have happened. <laughs> Absolutely, never would have happened. Wow! <laughs> so Gregory Porter saved Blue Note Records. I think you can say that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, well, we could play around trip, and laugh at that yeah, idea, you know, but know, but and, but and doggone it! it, it, it you it know, t- it took about a month to. For me to actually get hired. And the first day on the job, I called Paul Ewing, your manager, yeah. and I said, I told him the story. And I said, So I guess we should do this. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that waters my eyes. Yeah. My
1: goodness. Yeah. <sighs> and wow, that's, I don't, I'm, I'm, why am I so emotional right now? I don't, well, not just about the, but that, but how things happen in the way that it does in, yeah. the, in these beautiful ways, you yeah. know, and, and you sign me and we go into uh, the studio with, with, with my guys whom I had been, you know, working in these little small clubs. You know, one of which you saw is at smoke, but before that it was St. Nick's pub, mm-hmm. a black jazz dive bar in Harlem. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. I mean, that's, it's uh exceptional the way things happen and and you feel like it's, it's a greater hand at work but mm-hmm. uh yeah, at least for me and uh, for, yeah for you as well you know yeah. it's it's it, it, really for us even in our our, our friendship it's yeah. just, just yeah. really beautiful it's beautiful yeah. yeah yeah really beautiful um but that's music that's music isn't it yeah music did it yeah. <laughs> it did you know well,
0: when you were talking before about the commonality of uh, music, how like blues can impact all kinds of music, that's, that scale, it reminds me of uh, just some research I did years ago uh, into the part of the brain that processes music. Like, why, why is it there? What's the function of this? And why does, why does music have this incredible communicative power? So neurologists will tell you that the area of the brain that processes music is there for infants to have some pre-language communication, right? So a a mother cooing to the baby is the best example of, oh, Mm -hmm. look at the baby. Mm -hmm. Mothers in all cultures use that interval. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's music, right? Wow! And a baby gets that. Before, mm-hmm. the, you can say, it's okay, relax. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, the thing about the human brain is that we close down 19 of 20 active synopses by, by the time we're 10 or 12 or something like that, just because we can't function on, with all that going on. And the choice of which sy- synopses we close down is determined by how much we use them. So the part of the brain that, Uh, triggers the response to run away from a lion. doesn't come up very often, right? (laughs) But the part of the brain that works the remote control of the TV set, you use that all the time. So those synapses stay open. So once we develop language skills, why is it that we continue to process music? And I think it's because conversational language fails to fully, uh, encapsulate the depths of our inner emotional lives we can't describe it so mm-hmm. we, we need art uh to communicate the things that transcend the power of language wow and and certain intervals certain modes they trigger emotional responses mm-hmm. in all human beings there's no divide Everybody's the same. Everybody's brain processes music the same way. Yeah, and and uh, I think that's why why music is popular The same music is popular all over the world. You know? Yeah, uh, and music that that seems foreign, like uh, like when I worked with Sheb Khaled, who's a, an amazing singer right uh algerian rye singer sings in the quarter tones but those quarter tones are really expressive mm-hmm. and uh, i don't understand a word he's saying but right. i know what he's saying right right know? or or coltrane no words the matter man yeah he's telling a story right uh,
1: but i i think that's the beautiful thing about it mm. i'm okay with the mystery too yeah of, of, of not knowing all that it does yeah and and but knowing it does something mm. I mean I've been uh, with uh, the great musicians who will ask a question why I chose a certain note mm-hmm. or or and I can't answer it it's 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 sometimes you do something in the studio or on the stage and maybe you hear a playback and you're like wow I mm-hmm. that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that sounds better than who I am you understand what I'm saying I know exactly or, saying. or yeah. more soulful yeah. or more grounded or because it is an, an emotion and I, and I'm so okay with not fully defining it yes. I just, yeah. I, I, I'm okay with the mystery mm-hmm. that music can be and how it makes you feel and the power of that it that it is sometimes with an audience Mm -hmm. That's that's amazing to me it's the magic of it is that's the
0: really mind-blowing part is you can really this when the lightning strikes man you can't you don't make that happen you don't control that (laughs) uh that's the the magic is the the beauty of it uh i've been playing a lot more lately Mm -hmm. i just did just came off a five-week tour with Bobby Weir from the Grateful Dead, and we got a trio. Yeah. And uh I'm playing upright bass for three hours a night, which is great. And we know the songs. I mean, that's basically five sets. You're going back to five <laughs> sets. <That's>, I, I,
1: <laughs>
0: I was worried about I In fact, I called John Mayer up, who was, you know, tours also playing Grateful Dead songs with the Dead and Company, which, which Bob is part of too, right? Okay. I said, how do you play that long, man? And he said, oh, you'll see, it's, it, it flies by. And I just thought, that's impossible. <laughs> but it really does fly by. If you're, because you have to be engaged the entire time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, the whole thing is improvised, really. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and sometimes you fall on your face. And sometimes the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts, greater than the three people. And that's when it's magical and then the audience gets engaged in it and it's it's like the the coolest roller coaster ride ever. It's such a, a adrenalized thrill when the thing takes off on, on its own. Mm. I I think that that's that been really beneficial to me as a as a record company president yeah. to remember to get out of the office yeah. and remember that it's all about that mystery and magic that you're talking about. Yeah. But that's that's the thing. It's not don't get too hung up in contracts yeah, yeah. <laughs> any of that other stuff. It's really about bringing that, those magical moments to, to the audience. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, I was really influenced by you a lot in doing and even choosing to, to do this tour because I, I've probably seen you perform more than any, anyone else on blue note over mm-hmm. the years. I'm sure I've been to, 25, 30 shows, seen you know, all over the world. Yeah, and every time you do a song, you do it differently. <laughs> you, you, you. It's fresh, and it's and you're totally present. There's no, it's not. There's no, uh, there's no routine. Right. No, it, everything is for real every time you do it, yeah. which is a very brave thing to do. Mm. And so when. Bob Weir called me, who's an improviser, mm-hmm. and offered me the opportunity to do that night after night. I thought of you. Wow. And I thought, I I want to do this. I want to do it not just for the music, but I want to work on uh, being fearless, yeah. losing self-consciousness, yeah, and being super present. Yeah. And uh, it's it's really it's really something, and it it really transcends music. You you can take that and apply it to everything in your life. Yeah, and that's been the beauty of it. And finding, just finding a way, you know. the one of the other things we do is we 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 meditate before we play. Yeah, in the band. But if you focus too much on it, and to keep your mind from drifting, that's as much of a distraction from that meditative state as thinking about the phone calls you have to make mm-hmm. and the same is true when you're playing if you if you you can focus on the notes but that's that can be as much of a distraction you know it's it's having it going on in the background but just being there and letting the thing happen yeah that, that's the mysterious part it's a work in progress i, I mean you Experience it every night. Yeah, what, yeah. What do you think about that? Wow, you
1: just, you just, uh, you just have enlightened us on some. You know, there's a lot of conversation about audiences sometimes when we think about them, as we're trying to sometimes trick them, we're trying to uh, lighten their wallets, we're trying to, uh, but I've, I've never thought the audience was a bunch of fools. Mm-hmm. I respect them and they know phony. Mm -hmm. They know when you're not there or you're just giving them something Mm -hmm. but not present. And um, I never wanted to cheat them. Ever since probably I found out that, you know, the people that are there have made an effort to be there. You know, now, you know, when we, as we do destinational gigs or, or festivals, or sometimes people are flying across the world. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they've, they've taken off of work. They've, you know, they've made great sacrifices to be there. Okay. Not only that, but you don't know what song or what expression or what about you that they've really invested in. Mm-hmm. And so you want to give them as much as they're giving you and it's, and they're giving a lot yeah. Yeah. the drive, the time, the hotel, the babysitter, you know, not just monetary, mm-hmm. not monetarily, it's emotionally as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So I think about it and I want to put as much effort as they have and they've invested substantially. But being present uh, in the music, I. Th- Again, you you have to love music and think of it as a as a gift in order to be the kind of artist that wants to climb into the music and not use the music to polish your ego, but use the music, step inside of the music to make the music great.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it's a respect for the music.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, you know, I hope you are that. That, that type of, of artist and influencer. And I hope I can continue to be or, 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 or try to touch the hem of that garment. But you have given us, you've dropped some gems today and, uh, and really some, some, some beautiful insight into to the artistic expression and, uh, and, and yourself as well. And thank mm-hmm. you. And thank you for being soulful. And thank uh, you for hanging oh man yeah, it's, it's dope it's
0: a, it's a real pleasure to be here with yeah. you, thank, yeah.
1: thanks for asking me yeah thank you don't forget you can listen to The Hang on Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher or the podcast thingamajig of your choice and get every episode of The Hang fresh off the presses mm-hmm. clap your hands now this is Gregory Porter come on bring it in mm-hmm.